Our study for this evening will be the New Testament character Demas. Demas. Demas, a tragedy of betrayal. And as we look at this particular individual who crossed paths with Paul on multiple occasions, we are going to focus on, on a rather sad, uh, a sad example in the New Testament, uh, a, an example that serves us as a warning then, as an encouragement, but we need these warnings. And in the providence and wisdom of God, he has given us a word that doesn't only provide us with positive examples to emulate, but also gives us these negative examples that serve as warnings to us. And in the person of Demas, we do find an example of someone not to emulate, someone whose life serves as a warning of us, because all of us, as we were, are going to see tonight, as we look at and study this person, we will see that the temptation he faced and the temptation in which he failed is a temptation not far from any of us here tonight. As we look at his life, we're going to, we're going to attach it to three important principles here. We're going to look at his praiseworthy beginning, his praiseworthy beginning. Secondly, at his cowardly desertion. And then thirdly, as we see him as a tragedy of betrayal, we're going to see his shameful motivation. His praiseworthy beginning, his cowardly desertion, and then his shameful motivation. Before we look at his example within the pages of Scripture, though, I want to turn for just a moment again to Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan uh, just like he included a portion in his, his allegory, The Pilgrim's Progress, that likened uh, a certain individual to Hymenaeus, we see an actual uh, a character in this allegory actually named Demas. And if you're familiar with John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, you're familiar with this time uh, when Christian and Hopeful are, are going through, on their way to the celestial city, they go through this place called the Plain of Ease. Let me read a portion of Pilgrim's Progress. Now at the other side of this plain, the Plain of Ease, was a small hill called Lucre, and within it a silver mine. And because of the rarity of this place, some pilgrims, having gone this way, decide to investigate it. However, drawing too near to the edge of the shaft, and because of the treacherous nature of the ground which broke under their feet, they were destroyed. Other pilgrims were known to have been maimed there, and for the rest of their lives were never free from the mind's wounding influence. Then I saw in my dream that a little off the side of the road and right next to the silver mine stood Demas, Standing like a gentleman, he would invite passing pilgrims to step aside and to investigate the site. So he hailed Christian and companion. Hello there, friends. Come over here and I will show you something quite remarkable. Christian responded, What could be so deserving of our attention as to draw us out of the way? Demas responded, Here's a silver mine and right now some are digging in it for treasure. If you also would come here, with only a little effort, you will be able to richly enhance yourselves. Hopeful, Christian's 
Trials said, if this be true, then let us go and investigate. Christian replied, not I. I have previously heard of the reputation of this place and how many have been destroyed here. And besides this, the treasure being promoted is in fact a snare for those who seek it because it hinders them in their pilgrimage. Then Christian called to Demas, asking, Is this not a dangerous and has it not hindered many others in their pilgrimage? Demas replied, It is not very dangerous except to those who are careless. Nevertheless, he blushed as he spoke this way. Christian, addressing hopeful, let us not wander aside even one step, but instead keep on our way. Now that's John Bunyan's incorporation of the examples into his allegory. Let's look at Demas on the pages of Scripture. Demas is mentioned only three times in Paul's writings, and all of these are very brief references. Just very short little statements, as we will see, but these three references give us enough to construct an overview of this man's life and to get a sense of what uh, marked it. We first of all see Paul make reference to Demas in Colossians 4, verse 14, when, as he is in in, in the first Roman imprisonment, he writes to the Colossian church, this would have been around the year 8061, and says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings as also Demas. And then to one of the individual members there of the Colossian church, Philemon, he writes to Philemon these words in verses 23 and 24 of that very short letter. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Then the third reference to Demas comes some five years later in uh, the letter that Paul writes during his second Roman imprisonment. This would have been around the year 8066, five years after the writing of Colossians and Philemon. And in this letter, as Paul is in his second Roman imprisonment, the, the Demas is completely different. Let me read the paragraph in which the reference is found, 2 Timothy 4, 9-11. Paul says to Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with He is useful to me for service. Now based on these references, we can... Uh, construct some basic details of this man's life. First of all, Demas, if we look beyond the New Testament, uh, many scholars suggest this is probably a shortened form of the name Demetrius. He, he was likely a Gentile, and we can get this by looking at Colossians 4, verses 10 to 14, as Paul refers to two groups of co-laborers, two groups of men who were particularly involved in Paul's ministry there as he was in Rome in house arrest, under house arrest, and he had these groups of men who were very much involved in visiting Paul and then going on on the delegated tasks that Paul would have for them. And the first group of men, three men's names, are all Jewish co-laborers, Aristarchus, Mark, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These were from the circumcision. 
These were Jewish believers who had assembled with Paul there as Paul was under house arrest to help Paul be involved in Great Commission activity. So Paul couldn't go, so he would send these, these Jewish co-labors, these Jewish believers, on different tasks to preach and teach and disciple and shepherd. And then he refers to three other men who were Gentiles. These were men who were not from the circumcision, and they were Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. I'll come back in just a moment because that's an important detail. But that probably gives us the indication he was a Gentile. He probably was from the city of Thessalonica because when we read of his desertion of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, at the end of Paul's life, as Demas then turns away from Paul, we read in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 that when he leaves, he goes to Thessalonica. And it's likely, though we don't know definitively, but it's likely that Demas is just going home. He's going to the place where there would be comfort and security. Rome was not that place at that time. Thessalonica was. We also see from these references, these three references in the New Testament, that Demas appears to be very closely associated with Luke. Every time we see him mentioned, he's mentioned in the same breath with Luke. Now Luke is is a godly and good. Luke never turns on Paul. Luke is that, that physician for Paul, that man who is with Paul to the end. Demas is connected with Luke in all three examples, but at the end, Demas, unlike Luke, does not remain with Paul. Demas leaves. And that has led various scholars to suggest that there is some kind of special friendship even between this man called Demas and the gospel writer, Luke. They may have had a long-term friend. They may have come from some kind of similar background, similar circle. They serve together. But at the end, they... They are very different in the end of their lives as Demas goes one way and Luke remains with Paul. And like I said, when we talk about Demas and his his association with Paul, we're basically talking about two times in Paul's life. The first two references in Colossians and Philemon have to deal with Paul's first Roman imprisonment. Demas is described positively. But the third reference to Demas is associated with Paul's second Roman imprisonment about five years later, And there, it is decidedly negative. Now, let's look at each of these. First of all, his praiseworthy beginning. His praiseworthy beginning. We see these two references in in Colossians and Philemon, where we see that that, that Paul is writing from his first Roman imprisonment. Details of Paul's first Roman imprisonment are, are relatively positive. Yes, Paul is under house arrest. But... The arrest of Paul during his first Roman imprisonment was not instigated by the Roman authorities. It was instigated actually by the Jews. The the Romans simply stepped in because Paul was a Roman citizen. Otherwise, they they would not have had anything to do with him. But because the, the Romans realized they had to provide Paul with some kind of formal trial so that his rights would be protected... And and so they're dealt with having to deal with Paul. And Paul spent several years in Caesarea Maritima and then is shipped off to, to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. But the Roman authorities didn't want to have anything to do with Paul. They weren't concerned about Paul at that point. There was no uh, program on the part of the Roman authorities to snuff Christianity at that, interested in that. 
Nonetheless, Paul had appealed to Caesar, and so to Caesar he had to go. He had to have a hearing. But while he was in Rome, the details of his his arrest, his imprisonment, his incarceration are actually quite positive. As, As we read in Acts chapter 28, Luke says that he stayed in Rome two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all unhindered. Luke wants us to understand that Paul's first Roman imprisonment wasn't that bad. Yes, he couldn't leave his home. He was chained to a centurion. But he could receive guests, and those who had come to Paul were not under fear of death. You could freely associate with Paul at that time, because the Romans had nothing against the church at that time. And we see Demas alongside Paul, ministering with and to Paul as fights. And as Paul sends greetings to the Colossian church and to Philemon. But what is even more remarkable here is that in Philemon 23 and 24, Paul references Demas alongside Mark, Aristarchus, and Luke and calls him a fellow worker. Now that's an important term. The term fellow worker comes from the the Greek term synergos. We get the idea of synergy from that Greek word. Synergy, synergos. It has the idea of cooperation and partnership. If there's synergy between people, it means that there's partnership. And, and Paul says that Demas was one of these partners alongside the likes of Mark and Luke and Aristarchus. And this term Paul used not just for everyday, any believer, nondescript, they're all fellow workers. Paul only used this term to refer to a special group of people. Those who are closely identified with him. Those who are closely involved in, in the fulfillment of different tasks related to Paul's ministry. So you, he only used this term fellow worker selectively. But he used it to refer to Demas. And that gives us the impression that Demas was was a delegate of Paul. In some senses, somewhat like someone like Titus or even Timothy, who would be sent by Paul on various trips and travels to, to speak on behalf of Paul, and to be part of this impressive group of people, to the point where he's even known to other churches. And it's possible that he even went and visited other churches and brought instructions and counsel from Paul to these churches because Paul couldn't go. He was under house arrest. And that was Demas's starting, very praiseworthy. It wasn't just that he was just some believer kind of associating with the church, kind of part of the church's life. No, Demas was close to Paul. Demas was trusted by Paul. Paul gave Demas specific tasks and responsibility, responsibilities and called him his partner. He was just like Mark. He was just like Luke. It's a very good beginning. And let us not be uh, like naive about this. That sometimes those who commit the sin of desertion, as we're going to see a little bit later on, sometimes have the very best beginnings. And some of you men may have started the same way that Demas did. Never allow that to create in you this idea that you're invincible. That just because you've started well, or just because right now things are going well, you're growing great, does not mean that you leave off vigilance over your souls. Demas was a man who started very well. 
I think all of us would would love to have been mentioned like Demas was in this context as a partner with the great Apostle Paul. But it didn't continue that way. Let's look at the second chapter of his life or the second component of his life, his cowardly desertion, his cowardly desertion. And this is described for us in a very sad summary in 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He's deserted me. Now, as I said, this was written Paul's second Roman imprisonment five years later. This is a very different time, very different circumstances. This imprisonment was instigated by Roman authorities. This imprisonment was of such a serious nature that Paul himself anticipated death, not release. In fact, he says in this very letter, just a few verses earlier, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the course. Paul anticipated. He had no liberties. At this point, Paul was isolated and he was difficult to access. We've already studied Onesiphorus. And how Onesiphorus had to spend considerable effort just trying to find where Paul was incarcerated during the second Roman imprisonment. And it was exceedingly dangerous at this point for anyone to associate with the Apostle Paul. During his first Roman imprisonment, not a problem. During it was dangerous. It was guilt by association. Paul was an enemy of the state. And as such, it meant that anyone who came looking for Paul and associating with Paul made themselves liable to being charged with the same crimes that Paul was being charged with. It's a very serious thing. And and as we get into this a little bit deeper, let us just remember, we can be hard on Demas, but let's put ourselves in that kind of a situation. If we were living in a day and we knew that Paul's Paul's days were numbered, his head was going to be taken off because he was an enemy of the state for preaching that Jesus Christ was Lord. How many of us would go looking for Paul, much less stay with him? Or how many of us would try and find a safer, more secure place to hide out? It was a huge challenge. In fact, Paul writes about this in this letter to 2 Timothy Sexes where he, he refers to the people who are abandoning him because of the threat. He says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 15, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. These were two men from the province of Asia, modern day Turkey, western Turkey, who had been with Paul up until the point of his arrest and perhaps stayed with him for some period of time after that, but then they turned away. They basically said, this was too hot, too dangerous. He says later on in 2 Timothy 4, verse 16, at my first defense, that's not referring to his first Roman imprisonment, that's referring to his first hearing before Nero during the second imprisonment. Paul says, at my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. Of course, we know that at some point after that, Ephesus, came and sought out Paul and was a source of refreshment to him. Luke was also there. But but by and large, Paul's friends were all dropping like flies. They were hightailing it out of Rome. 
That's what the reality of it was. And Demas was one of those. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.10, Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now on the one hand, we see that Paul says, let it not be counted against them. But on the other hand, we have to see the, the personal pain that this desertion had caused for Paul. This verb deserted that's used both in 4 verse 10 and 4 verse 16 means to separate connection with someone or something. And, and we translate it with the words forsake, abandon, or desert. It's a strong word. In fact, it's the very that we find on the mouth of Jesus as he is on the cross bearing the wrath of the Father as he's paying the penalty of, of the sins of all who would believe. Jesus himself says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Same verb that Paul uses in 2 Timothy 4 verse 10. So Paul's use of this verb to describe Demas' actions shows such desertion was deeply painful for the apostle. This was not just some incident that occurred among some of Paul's companions. This was close to Paul. This was painful. At a time when Paul needed friends most, and yes, he needed friends. He needed fellowship. He relied upon the body of Christ. Friends landed to him out of cowardice and fear. Now church history goes on to say that Demas actually went and became an apostate and taught a false religion. There's no evidence of that in the New Testament, and I don't believe that that's what Demas was. I don't believe he was an apostate. He's not described as Hymenaeus is described. In fact, as we saw in verse 16 of chapter 4, that others had also deserted Paul. The same verb is used there for desertion, and Paul says, may it not be counted against him or them. In other words, Paul, in a sense, he, he, he understood and he realized that this desertion was not a desertion of Christ per se, but it was a desertion of him personally. And so I think that when we look at Demas, we can see him in a way as like as Sim Peter at the time of Jesus' trial. You remember that? When Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. It's certainly like Mark. You remember Mark, also called John, and in Acts 13, on Paul's first missionary journey, when, when Paul and Barnabas get ready to go from the Mediterranean up that, that steep and dangerous trek through the mountains to Galatia, and we read that, that Mark left them, and later on in Acts 15, verse 38, Paul says that he would not accept Mark back into the team at that point because Mark had deserted them. And so Demas is like a Mark. He's, he's like a Peter. I don't see him as a, a Judas Iscariot or as a Hymenaeus. As D. Edmund Hebert states, Paul's statement did not charge Demas with having forsaken Christ. His action was interpreted, in, nor do his words form a sure foundation for the idea that Demas lapsed into apostasy. Continuing on, he says, concerned for his own safety and lacking the personal fortitude to face the dangers resolutely with Paul, Demas decided to leave Paul in the city of Rome. 
He determined to escape the undesirable consequences of an uncompromising stand with Paul as the servant of Christ. Well, Paul doesn't just describe his desertion, but he also describes its shameful motivation. And and these words are particularly saddening. Again, as we look at this third component, his shameful motivation, go back to 2 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10. Here we have the cause, where Paul says that Demas, having loved this present world, has me and gone to Thessalonica. It's a very fascinating statement, very saddening statement. Paul summarizes the cause of this cowardice with one simple statement. Demas loved this present world. And this idea of of loving has the idea of having fallen in love. And we must understand that this is a hard issue, that something like desertion, something like abandoning, uh, abandoning someone in need is, is not just a, 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 a simple mental decision. It has to do with one's love, what one loves most. You see, all our decisions ultimately, whether good or bad, all our decisions, all our actions are motivated, motivated by some kind of love. The, the issue is going to be, as we see with Demas, what, what is the, the object of that love that motivated him to do what he did? And we see this described with this phrase. His, his love was focused upon this present world. And so because we make our decisions and because we behave according to our loves, Demas's love was placed on this present world and thus led him to the consequence of deserting Paul. And this phrase, this present world, is particularly interesting because Paul doesn't use the word for world, cosmos. Instead, he uses the word ion, from which we get the English word eon, or age. And so the, the idea here is this, that Demas fell in love with the now age. You could almost translate it that way. Demas fell in love with the now age, the present age. This Love for the now age. Very interesting to see this. Stands in direct contrast to a different kind of love that Paul describes. Paul too is motivated by a love. But notice just a few lines above this description of Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul makes this statement in verse 8. Notice the word love, but notice the object of the word love here. Paul says this, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved, not the now age, but all who have loved his appearing. You see, the difference between Demas and Paul was that Demas loved the now age. Paul's love was focused on a future age. Paul's love was focused on the age of Christ's appearance, the age of Christ's coming, the age of Christ's kingdom. That's one writer writes this. The failure of Demas was not that he loved the good things of this present world. He deserted his post because he loved the things of this world more than he loved the kingdom of 
of God. His love was on the now world. His love was on the now age. Paul's love was on the future age. Paul certainly taught that in this future age, all true Christians must be ready for hardship. He said in 2 Timothy 2 verse 3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Paul goes on to state that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But Demas, as he, as he weighed this, and as he weighed his decisions, what he loved most, he, he made his decision based on the fact that he loved the now age more than he loved the coming age. He loved the now age that would promise comforts and securities of life. And because he loved the now age, he deserted the Apostle Paul. As John Chrysostom stated, having loved his own ease and security from danger, he has chosen rather to live luxuriously at home than to suffer hardships. Now we don't know what became of Demas. And so to this day, these 14 words that describe him in 2 Timothy 4 during epitaph. Oh, D. Edmund Hebert again says this, D- Demas had the wonderful opportunity of showing himself a staunch friend to the most worthy of friends in this crisis, but he failed to stand the test. He lacked the stuff of which heroes are made, and so he failed Paul in his time of need. The question for us is, we make our decisions all the time based on our love. The issue is, what do you love? Even more specifically, what age do you love? Are you like Demas, who loves the now age? you like Paul, you love the age to come. That's what makes the difference. That's what makes the difference. That's what will make the difference in your lives. That's what will make the difference when you're willing to stand up for the gospel at work, in your neighborhood, in your family. If you love the now age, you'll be silent. Especially in the midst of a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity. If you love the now age, you'll be silent. If you love the now age, you'll take the path of least resistance. If you love the now age, you will look for, for, for pleasures and luxuries in this life. If you love the now age, you will desert those who stand for truth. You'll be known as a Demas. You'll be known as one who's not pointing others to the celestial city, but you'll be known as one who stands at the pit, at the edge of a pit, and beckons them to come near so that they might fall in as well. But if you're like Paul and you love the coming age, that's what occupies your greatest affection. You'll be willing to suffer hardship. If you love the age of Christ's appearance, you'll be willing to mortify the sins of the flesh. If you age to come, you'll stand for the truth, even if it means losing your job. 
means you'll tell the truth, even if it means enduring great personal harm. It means you'll stand for the gospel, even if it means losing friends, popularity, promotions. What about you? Where your love? We sang that we sang that one stanza the stanza five in Am I a Soldier of the Cross, written by Isaac Watts. And this stanza, the fifth stanza, really helps us see Paul's perspective. When Isaac Watts writes this, Thy saints in all thy all this glorious war shall conquer though they die. They see the triumph from afar by faith's discerning eye. One more quote from the author of the hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. He said this about Demas, and I want to close with these words. We deny our Lord whenever, like Demas, we through love of this present world forsake the course of duty which Christ has plainly pointed out to us. Heavenly do thank you for this example of Demas. And we confess that many times we have experienced the temptation to place our love on the now age. It's a constant battle. So we thank you for this example because we see the consequence of a man who a man who started off so well and yet ended as one who will always be infamous for his desertion and betrayal. Lord, may that never be our epitaph. Instead, may you use this example, this teaching, to purify our love and to place it squarely, fully, on the, the age to come, the time of Christ's appearance. May that be the object of our greatest affection. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.